0: Jesus, you are Messiah, you are Lord, you are God, and we worship you. We thank you for coming, for becoming a human being, for dying on the cross for our sins, rising from the dead. That's what brings about our forgiveness, and we are grateful. We ask that you teach us about that today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Turn to Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 16 through 18. It's page 818 in the Bibles that we give away. So if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. Someone will bring you one. It's our gift to you. Going through the book of Hebrews verse by verse. And today, this section that we've been looking at, really over the last three weeks now, uh, we've been looking at this section which describes why Jesus had to die on the cross Kind of neat how it just happened to work out to bring us right up to Easter Sunday next week and stuff. So uh, so that was, you know, we didn't plan that. I'm just, I just preached through the Bible verse by verse and, you know, what passage comes up, that's what passage comes up. But here we have this third part, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Have you ever ran into, uh now it's not working. There, now it is. Yeah, you did. Okay, it's working now. Have you ever uh, ran into, like, sap on a tree, got your fingers on it, and, you know, tried to get it off, and it's just, you know, it's next to impossible? Imagine uh, taking a bath in that stuff, okay? You know, it would really be hard to clean it off, right? Next to impossible. Listen, sin is far worse some people think that sin is like a little bit of dust, that you, you, you can just wipe it off, and, and that's okay. With maybe with a little religion, you can just wipe off the sin like dust. It is far more imposing than that. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can wash us clean. Look at our passage here, Hebrews two sixteen 16 through 18. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted." So why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Our passage here says to make atonement for our sins. We've been looking at verses 10 through 18 over the last three weeks because they really are commentary on verse 9. If you look back at verse 9, the very last part of verse 9, it says, so that by the grace of God he might taste death For everyone. Why did Jesus have to die? And then we saw in three uh, successions here. First, it says, in order to bring many sons and daughters to glory. Jesus had to die so that sin could be paid for, but so that we could become children of God, to enter into that relationship that God had always intended for us to have a personal relationship with God. And then last week, we saw verses 14 and 15, that his death on the cross also broke the power of sin and Satan. And so we needed to be set free. We were slaves to sin and Satan. Jesus' death on the cross frees us, that victory view of the cross. And now, finally, today, we see to make atonement For our sins. And we're going to talk about what that means. Let's look at verse 16, first of all. Verse 16, we see that Jesus didn't die for the angels. He starts out, he says, For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. Jesus didn't die for angels. Now, this is the last time angels are mentioned for a while in the book of Hebrews, but we've been seeing this over and over and over, chapter one and chapter two, has been talking about angels, but specifically showing how Jesus is superior to the angels. But we see this mention of the angels all the way through, and so we've learned a lot about angels as we've been walking through these last two chapters. Uh, but And as I've been talking about that, people have been sharing with me their stories about angels, which has been Rather fascinating. I mean, really cool to hear so many different people having encounters that really are inexplainable, Um, you know, which is uh, pretty neat. Uh, Tim Goodner shared one with me. Uh, about a, a pinto, a red pinto driver. And I don't have time to go into it, but bombard him. I, I would have had him share it, but it'd take about 15, 20 minutes, okay? So, and really, you need the detail to hear it. So bombard him with a story, because it's fascinating. There's really no other explanation, right, <laughs> than there was an angel that was there that helped them. That was, And this is, what you know, we see these things that are true And just, it's awesome, it's wonderful. A genuine story that really happened, and you can't dismiss these things, okay? There really is a God, there really are angels. Well, you know, he says he didn't come to help them. That word help, he's referring to help by dying on the cross. That's the context. So he didn't come to die for angels. You think, well, why? Well, the angels that didn't sin don't need salvation, right? Right? One-third of the angels, though, did fall with Satan, and according to this passage, fallen angels have no hope. Now, we could speculate as to why that might be. Perhaps uh, for Adam and Eve, they were tempted by Satan, right? And then they fell, and that that didn't make it right, but there was that temptation factor, that deception factor, whereas the devil and the the fallen angels. There was no temptation. It was just flat out rebellion against God. Maybe, maybe that's it. By the way, God doesn't have to forgive anyone, right? Jesus did not have to die on the cross for us. Uh, he could have left us in our own sins and pay the penalty for our sins that we deserve to pay. Uh, but uh, what we do know from this passage, we don't. Perhaps know why fallen angels have no hope, but it says that, right? Surely it's not angels he helps. But we do know fallen humans do have hope. That's what we see here. He says, uh, but Abraham's descendants. Now, who are Abraham's descendants? Well, there's kind of two groups there that I think we can see in that category of Abraham's descendants. First of all, the physical descendants of Abraham. God called Abraham. The Jewish people, to be his people. He has a plan for them. He's not done with them yet. In fact, according to the Bible, at the end of time, Israel is going to embrace Jesus as Messiah. And what a day that will be. So, and he died for them. But he also died for the spiritual descendants of Abraham. The Bible speaks in Galatians 3.26 that we are children of Abraham by faith. Okay, so his death on the cross is for us. We see this, uh, but, but recognize fallen humans do have hope, but we need to make sure we understand this. The hope is not in ourselves. There's no self-help thing. There's no, uh, you know, no way that we can save ourselves. The sap will not come off by human effort. The sin is that bad. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No way we can get back up. We cannot save ourselves or even have any part in our salvation. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through faith. The gift of God is eternal life. And so we cannot clean ourselves up. We cannot clean the sap of sin off of our hands. So we have three choices. Three choices. Maybe there's more, I don't know, but I came up with three choices on how to deal with our sins, okay? Um, First of all, we can cover up our sins and continue in it. And usually this takes place because of the shame. We're ashamed of our sins, so we hide them. Uh, shame needs cleansing. Uh, but this is not a help. This is not what's going to help us get clean. Uh, others just simply declare it isn't sin. Now, this is a the worst possible position we could fall into. So I want you to turn to Isaiah 5, verse 20, to see how detrimental this is because I believe that our society as a whole has fallen into this trap. We've gotten so far that rather than just kind of saying, well, you know, I sin, but everybody else sins, you know, or covering it up or whatever other excuse that we have, now we're saying, no, 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 It's not even sin. In fact, it's good. Look at what Isaiah 5, though, says about this in verse 20 and 21. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. That word for woe, uh, it, is it is a very strong word in this context saying no hope. Unless you come out of that, there's no hope. This is the worst thing we could possibly do is start saying, no, 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 this isn't sin, this is good because then we can't repent and receive forgiveness And so we see the the tragedy of this. We see this mentioned also in Romans chapter one, verse 32. In Romans, it brings us out. Romans chapter one, uh, from verse 18 on, speaks of the predicament that people are in and just how terrible of a predicament we are in, especially ending with this verse. Although they know God's righteous decree, that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things but also approve of those who practice them. So they've not only just tried to make excuses for their sins, now they're saying they're not sins and they're encouraging others to live in this. And that's, that's the, the worst possible position we could be in. But then third, we can confess our sins to God. And uh, we won't surprise him. <laughs> Confess our sins to God. I want you to turn to First John chapter one, eight through ten. This is glorious good news. First John, chapter one. Chapter one begins with this wonderful idea of having fellowship with God. That's the original intention that God has for us—that fellowship. But sin gets in the way. So how do we deal with sin? Look at verse eight. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Uh, So we cannot say it's not sin or I'm not a sinner, okay? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. And so here we see, confess our sins. And we specifically see that it's it's not, you don't have to confess your sins to a priest. I know that's what some people believe. Though confessing your sins to someone else for accountability's sake is helpful. But this passage is referring to confessing your sins to God. Uh, in fact, uh, this specifically is brought out in Psalm 32 Verse five, this is David when he was convicted of his sin. Look what he says here in Psalm 32, verse five. He says, then I acknowledged my sin to you, and he's talking to God, and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Wow, that's good news. Confess your sins, and he is faithful and just and will forgive you of your sins. Max Lucado, in his book, Six Hours, One Friday, uh, makes this uh, statement and then story. He says, that's part of what Paul meant when he said, the wages of sin is death. He didn't say the wages of sin is a bad mood or the wages of sin is a hard day, nor the wages of sin is depression. Read it again. The wages of sin is death. Sin is fatal. Can anything be done with it? Your therapist tells you to talk about it, so you do. You pull the bag into his office and pour the rocks out onto his floor and analyze each one, and it's helpful. It feels good to talk, and he's nice, but when the hour is up, you still have to carry the bag out with you. Your friends tell you not to feel bad. Everyone slumps a bit in this world, they say. Not very comforting, you say. Feel great about life rallies tell you to ignore the thing and be happy, which works until you wipe the fog off your mirror and take an honest look. Then you see, it's still there. Legalists tell you to work the weight off, a candle for every rock, a prayer for every pebble. Sounds logical, but what if I run out of time or what if I didn't count correctly? You panic. What do you do with the stones from life's stumbles? My oldest daughter, Jenna, is four years old. Some time ago, she came to me with a confession. Daddy, I took a crayon and drew on the wall. Kids amaze me with their honesty. I remember those days. I sat down and lifted her up into my lap and tried to be wise. Is that a good thing to do? I asked her. No. What does Daddy do when you write on the wall? You spank me what do you think daddy should do this time? Love. (laughs) Don't we all want that? Don't we all long for a father who even though our mistakes are written all over the wall will love us anyway? Don't we want a father who cares for us in spite of our failures? Hmm, Yeah, but how can God do this? and remain a righteous judge. You see, he is the creator of the universe. He is the righteous judge. He will punish sin. So how can he be both just and loving? How does it work? Well, that brings us to verse 17, really the heart of our passage. Jesus died to make atonement for our sins. Look at what it says in Hebrews two seventeen. For this reason... He had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. So we see here Jesus died to make atonement for our sin. It starts out saying he had to become a human to be our high priest. Uh, we've, we talked about this last week. Why did Jesus have to become human? Why did Jesus have to be both God and man? And so I'm not gonna go into that again today, but we see this once again in order to be a high priest who will offer the proper sacrifice. But I do want you to notice here, it says he had to. He had to. There was no other way to bring about forgiveness for our sins. He couldn't just wave his hand. That's how sin, bad sin is. If he's gonna forgive us, it took the death of Jesus Christ by crucifixion on the cross where he experienced the wrath of God in our place. That's what had to happen if we were to be forgiven. And so then we see this word atonement. Atonement is both expiation and propitiation. Now, aren't you glad I said that? Okay, you're thinking, what in the world is expiation and what in the world is propitiation? But I'll tell you what, you probably don't know what atonement is either. Okay, so it's kind of funny because the NIV translates this word atonement because they thought propitiation, which is really the heart of the word, they thought that's too confusing. Most people don't know what propitiation is, so we'll use the word atonement. But most people don't know what atonement is either. So why not just use the original word? I don't know. Okay, but, you know, that's the translators, so we'll explain what atonement is. Atonement is both expiation and propitiation. Helaskamai is the... Verb, the Greek verb being used here. Helasterion is the noun used in other passages, but it brings about both of these ideas, so I'll explain both of them. How's that, all right? First, expiation. All it means is cleansing. It's a cleansing of our sins. That's what Jesus' death on the cross did for us. We feel dirty and defiled when we sin and rightfully so. And so we need to be washed clean. My brother and I, we uh, grew up in, down in Rochester uh, out in the country and we owned two horses and it was our job to clean the horse pen, okay? Not the funnest job. My sister, she got to feed the horse and brush it and all that. Our job, okay, <laughs> That was our job. Well, one time, I'm pretty sure it happened this way, my brother got a little bit on my shoe while we were shoveling, okay? It might have been me getting it on him. I don't remember who started it, okay? But he got a little bit on my shoe, and so then I got a little bit on his shoe, and then he got a little bit more on me, and then I got, next thing you know, we have a full-blown horse manure fight, we are covered head to toe with horse manure, okay? And I'll tell you what, we needed a bath. <laughs> but manure isn't dirty. It has never broken any laws. Sin is far worse. But it is like manure needing spiritual cleansing. Imagine being washed clean by God's shower of love for you through the death of his son. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, Precious is the flow that makes me white as snow no other fountain know nothing but the blood of Jesus cleanses us expiation but at the heart of this word is propitiation which means, God's wrath is satisfied. This brings out the the aspect of God as judge, as righteous judge who must and will punish all sin. All sin will experience the wrath of God. We either will experience that wrath ourselves in hell or because God loves us, he has provided a substitute. If we put our trust in the substitute, Jesus, who suffered the wrath in our place, then we are completely forgiven. The wrath of God is completely satisfied. That little phrase, Jesus died for us, the word for, who pair in the Greek, it means in our place instead of us. He experienced the wrath of God, the full wrath of God for all the sins of the world, an eternity of wrath of God those six hours that one Friday for us. That's what we see in this word. That's why Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus suffered the full wrath of God in our place as our substitute substitution. Um, I got to experience this a little bit. I've shared this before, but it fits the passage so well, I'm going to share it again. Uh, When my kids were smaller, uh, I have three boys, and Daniel, my oldest, is the one who got into trouble by far the most, okay? And so he experienced spankings regularly, All right, we'll just say it there. You know, I'll probably get sued or something, you know, because, yes, we spanked our kids. Uh, Always for rebellion. We didn't do it for just, you know, mistakes or anything like that, but rebellion, okay? So anyway, Daniel, he got spanked a lot, and uh, Isaac never got in trouble. Those of you who know Isaac, you know, that's the way he's always been. He just never got in trouble, and so rarely ever got a spanking. Well, one time he did something that he really was in rebellion, and, he was going to get a spanking. As I said, Daniel, who is you know just really you know this is just he's normal, regular at this. But Daniel's also has a heart of compassion, really compassionate person towards the underdog, towards the person who has you know no say. To you know, he just he's a merciful person, and he still is to this day. And he came up to me and he said, "Daddy." Can I take his spanking for him? (laughs) Tell you what, proudest father. Wow. But that's substitution, you see. Jesus, far greater in extent took our spanking, took the wrath of God. Now, so I wanna walk through some passages of Scripture that that reveal this so that we can get the full implications of this. First of all, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, where we see this idea is a regular idea throughout Scripture that God in his righteous wrath will punish all sin. Uh, it says in verse 10 and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. The coming wrath is coming, that day of judgment we saw in the book of Revelation. That is coming where God will pour out his wrath forever and ever on those who did not receive forgiveness through his son. But he came to rescue us from that coming wrath, this verse says. Look at Galatians chapter 3. Verse 13, we sang about this in one of the songs today. It brought this out, Galatians 3, verse 13. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole or on a tree, referring to the cross. So he was cursed, he took our curse upon himself so that we wouldn't have to experience that curse, that wrath of God. Look at Romans 3, 25 and 26. Romans 3, verse 25, he says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Now there is that word again, only this is the noun form, hilasterion. So same thing, a propitiation through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Notice we're talking about punishment here. We deserve to be punished. There is going to be punishment at the end of time, but for those who put their trust in Christ, he was punished for us in our place instead of us. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Notice, he is both just and loving because of the cross of Jesus Christ. His justice is laid out because punishment is paid, but on the appropriate substitute, a voluntary substitute, God himself taking on the form of a human being, allowing his own creation to crucify him. That substitute brought about our forgiveness, where so now God is both just and the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. Look at Isaiah 53. This is what they're all going back to. Isaiah 53 is a prediction in the Old Testament, 700 years before Jesus came on the scene. By the way, this passage that we're going to read, you should write it down, and every Muslim you ever meet, share it with them because the Quran says Jesus didn't die on the cross it specifically says he didn't die on the cross but the Bible says 700 years before Jesus ever even came on the scene that the Messiah would die and be and be pierced for our sins it was predicted that's a miracle but it was fulfilled in Jesus so the Quran is wrong right Look at what it says. 53, verse 4. Surely, speaking of Messiah, he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. Notice he was punished by God. But he was pierced. Psalm 22 says, Pierced in the hands and feet. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed. For our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was punished in our place by piercing, which we know now is by the crucifixion. This was actually written before crucifixion was even invented, That's why he didn't use the word crucifixion. He used the word piercing. We know now exactly what it referred to. But he's referring here to a sacrifice, isn't he? You have the language of a sacrifice. This is the next passage of Scripture, Leviticus chapter 16. Look at this, Leviticus 16, 20 through 21. We see this is the Day of Atonement, uh, the most holy day of the year for the Jewish people where the high priest would offer sacrifice once, for the sins of the people for that year, but they also would take a second goat and use it as the scapegoat, Uh, so a substitute. Look at what it says. Look at the wording here, verse 21. He is to lay both, this is speaking of the high priest, on this day, the day of atonement. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it, all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. Confess the sins, put the sins on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place. See how the goat is the substitute He's taking their sins. They've been placed on him. He takes them to a remote place, and the man releases it in the wilderness. Jesus took our sins into the land of forgottenness. He is the ultimate sacrifice referred to. Our sins were placed on him that day, Good Friday, and he was crucified in our place. And so now Jesus can relate to us in a very deep and personal way. It says in verse 18, back in Hebrews chapter 2, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Now, some say that he can't really relate to us because he never sinned. Oh, no, he doesn't really know because he never sinned. Listen, he experienced. More temptation than any of us ever will, because we all cave in at a certain point and never experience the maximum levels. But he never caved in and was experienced full temptation and said no. So he knows exactly what it's like to be tempted, uh, far more than any of us do. Warren Wiersbe in his commentary. He says he is able to give us the grace that we need to overcome temptation. The word sucker, he's speaking of the King James, our word here is help, uh, literally means to run to the cry of a child. When your child cries, you run, okay? That's the help we're seeing here. It means to bring help when it is needed. Angels are able to serve us but they're not able to succor us in our times of temptation. Only Jesus Christ can do that, and he can do it because he became a man and suffered and died. He has compassion on you, each and every single person in this room. There is absolutely nothing you could have done that surprised Jesus or would keep him from wrapping his arms around you in forgiveness, except a hardened, unrepentant heart of unbelief. Paul was a murderer before he became a Christian. Nicky Cruz was a gang leader, a drug pusher, and a murderer before he became a Christian. If you knew me before I surrendered to Jesus, you would be shocked. Paul Schultz, his sister, actually knew me when I was younger, when I was 18. She tells Paul, we didn't have a lot of hope for Larry. (laughs) But he forgave me, and he changed me, and he can forgive you, and he can change you. Believe, confess, Receive his cleansing and total forgiveness. You know, baptism is the new covenant ceremony that symbolizes this cleansing and and this burial, uh, this death to the old way of life so well. God knew what he was doing when he brought this about. So what are you waiting for? So what are you gonna do Cover up your sin, declare it isn't sin, or confess your sin to God. He's already provided a way of escape. Let's pray. Yes, it's all done. Jesus said, it is finished. He did it all. He paid it all. We don't have to work. We don't have to strive. We don't have to try to earn your favor, O God. We simply come to you empty-handed, just as we are. We confess our sins. We ask you to forgive us. We put our trust in Jesus and in him alone for our salvation. And then we rest in you, believing that you paid it all. Thank you. As Christians, we still need cleansing from time to time because we mess up. Father, you kind of addressed that when you addressed it to your disciples. And Peter said, well, then wash my whole body. And he said, no, 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 you've already had a bath. need your feet washed but there are those who don't know you they've never taken the plunge they've never truly trusted in Christ and him alone as their savior Father I pray draw them to yourself today do that work do that work in our community we pray for the Muslims here for the Somali please Lord open up their eyes give them dreams Help them to see that Jesus is Lord, and He's died on the cross and risen from the dead, so that their sins too can be washed. Lord, come. Help us not to hold on to that dirt, but to receive Your cleansing power, Your total forgiveness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.